0: your cyber cafe where we exchange ideas about current events, hot topics, storytelling, plus all the things. Please do visit us and interact on our sister platform, the Cafe Penumbra Discord server. See the link in the show notes or at seraphimpenumbra.com. In today's discussion, we're joined by Carlo Quispe, a Peruvian queer cartoonist based in New York City. Carlo is the creator of Supermanuel, Manuel, Hairy Tales, and Uranus Comics. Carlo and I met in New York in the early aughts and collaborated together on numerous events and installations, including collaborations with Never Never Party Collective, Le Petit Versailles, Dance Tube, Mix NYC, and we both worked together as production assistants for Voluptuous Horror of Karen Black. Carlo's work is available for purchase at carloquispe.com. That's C-A-R-L-O-Q-U-I-S-P-E. And of course, we will post a link in the show notes. Carlo, welcome to Cafe Penumbra. Thank you very much for being here and taking the time to have a conversation. How are you today?
1: I'm okay. Thanks for having me. It's nice to recall the never, never party. Uh, I feel like
0: anytime any of us get together, I feel like we're keeping that party going, you know? I do. It's interesting. Uh, We could have another whole conversation about just that. But yeah, it's been neat to kind of like reconnect with some of the people from the past and see where we've gone and course you know part of what we're going to talk about is social media so it's also been a new kind of component for people in our generation to be able to keep track on people through social media but um that's for another time Hmm. one of the things that I've always really admired about you and uh, low-key like bragged on when talking about you with other people as an artist and as a person is that you're so prolific and I find as an artist myself that um when life happens it's very easy to lose connection with flow like uh, you get into a rhythm in your process like that experience when you just lose track of time and almost nothing else really exists in that moment that um really critical flow and I feel like for myself <laughs> when life disruptions were distracting that then my my flow wasn't happening and I wasn't creating But every time that I looked over, you know, stay in your lane, but every time I looked at what you were doing, like despite the fact that the world has literally been crumbling around us for decades, you still managed to find a quiet corner to create. Like you're going to draw something or sketch something or come up with a new idea or hatch a plan. Um, And that's really (laughs) admirable. So that's one of the things that I always say about you when I talk about your work as an artist so would you be able to talk a little bit about your process or how it is that you always manage to create despite all the outside interference and distractions
1: yeah wow well I'm really flattered you know I'm uh, just very touched by what you've said I mean I just you know Can't believe that anyone's paying any attention at all. So you know, really happy to hear that. You know, it's it sounds so sweet, and and I I thank you so much. You know, and 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 likewise, I I see that you're also like you know going into like virtual reality stuff and like three D modeling stuff. Um, I think that's really cool, and I I think that's really interesting how you are you know wanting to, I don't know, really get you know, educate yourself you know, through that process. And I think, I think that's what's admirable. You know, Um I feel like the stuff that I'm making, I'm doing it, you know, because I've got some deadline, right? I've got like a deadline that I set up, um, whether it's, you know, the New York Queer Zine Fair, for example, that's happening on Saturday, October 7th, from 11 to 5 <laughs> at the LGBTQ Center in Manhattan, for example. Yeah, see, like, there's something that I have to look forward to, right? And so I know that I have to have stuff for that, you know, something that will, you know, likely sell there, right? So you'll probably notice that I'll be busier in the fall, like after the summer. And that's because a lot of the book fairs that I like take place in this time where everyone's like picking presents for the holidays for the end of the year. So, you know, if you think about it, kind of like a, like a little farmer, you know, you're like cultivating, you know, and like, you know, developing stuff that later you're going to then like spend some time selling. Cause like, I love to participate, you know, in publications that are uh, set up with like publishers and, you know, they have wider distribution and that's really great. You know, I love all that, but I also do my own work to publish my own comics and so that's also why I may seem busy. It's because I have to also print my own comics. <laughs> and I guess I'm doing it in print just because to me, it's just been the way that I've monetized my work. I know that there's people who are able to digitize their stuff and you can get it uh, digitally. There are some comics that I have made that have reached like ebook uh, level. I really have to like learn how to monetize my stuff digitally. So, anyway, that's just a long way of saying that's why I do print. And, uh, you know, it's also been kind of difficult to navigate this, you know, way of making money during the pandemic because we couldn't get together uh, in person. And so I just had to dedicate more time to publicizing my website and having stuff on the store that people would be able to afford. And also afford the shipping. That's why the stuff in my website is stuff that's in print because the shipping is cheaper for media mail. Uh, When I sell a t-shirt, I have to make, I don't do it through the website. I do it with some other payment method because, you know, people have to not only pay for the shirt, but then they have to pay for the shipping, which is usually like $10 or something which then sometimes makes, you know, it depends on the item, but sometimes it doesn't make it even worth it to have it, you know, for sale on the website. It only makes sense to have it for sale in person uh, in uh, book fairs or something. Like for example, I'm making a miniature called the uh, creature from Uranus, which is like this queer alien that uh, eats with ri- each uh, uh, eats uh, delicious rich people. So they, um, you know, I, I just figured out that wish people are just better fed. And so they're probably more delicious uh, to uh, invading aliens. And so I've got this little miniature that I made, but it's too expensive to ship considering its price. So it only makes sense to really sell it in person. So uh, I mean, at least maybe it will be an incentive for people to come out to the Gay and Lesbian Center on Saturday, October 7th uh, from 11 to 5.
0: I don't know, maybe hope, I hope so. I hope so too. Do you do you find that people are coming out in droves now that it seems like most of the pandemic restrictions are lifted, or what's what's that climate like in New York? A lot of uh, book
1: fairs enforce the you know like the mask mandate still. You know, for example, when I went to FlameCon this summer, which was amazing, they enforced the uh, the mandate, the mask mandate, and they also uh, asked people to show you know to show proof that they were vaccinated, and you know, I thought. You know, people were done. Uh, that I thought book fairs were done uh, asking people to mask up, but uh, FlameCon really stuck to. Uh, even though it was a personal friend who couldn't get in, you know, I feel kind of bad about it. But at the same time, I do appreciate that they enforce the mandate because then you really don't have to have that kind of uh, anxiety, um, uh, like in other book fairs where where you know you're you have a mask on, but then no one else does. And so, yeah, I appreciate FlameCon for that. So, yeah, I guess, you know, it's kind of like wearing a condom, you know, or like being prep, you know, like you have to educate yourself, uh, the risk, is, the risk that's out there. And then you kind of like, you know, measure that risk for yourself. Right. Right. Yeah. And do
0: what, you know, what, uh, is good for you, you know? Absolutely. Part of what you said was that part of what, um, and I'm going to paraphrase a little bit, but part of, uh, what acts as a motivator or why it, Why the perception is that you're always busy is that you always have these deadlines you need to prepare for, so that you can eat, pay rent, or whatever. So I can certainly appreciate (laughs) that. Um, But I wanted to dig a little bit more into the kind of juxtaposition of being analog in the digital marketplace. I also have an online store, and I think I'm a little bit jealous because I don't do my own fulfillment, and I'm finding that these there's so many people attached to a product, like you said, like. I did try to offer free shipping. So if you order a thing, you're not like tacking onto that. But of course I'm paying for that. It's not actually free. But then you know, the distributor gets a piece of the pie. And then the web host for the store gets a piece of the pie. And then the platform gets the piece of the pie. And then my website gets the piece of the pie. And I'm like, this um this uh this messaging to have like uh an online marketplace doesn't really come with all the information, I think that you could make an informed decision. So at the end of the day, I'm like, I'm making a lot more money for a lot of other people other than myself. And most of what I do as an artist isn't like, like there isn't really a product that you can sell uh, in particular. But um, what I think more interesting is that you can buy an analog, uh, like a comic that you made by hand and then put into an envelope and you know, like there's just, it's just so much more personal. So like, sure you can get digital downloads and you can have exclusively digital products. But I think, especially when we look at the work itself, which you, you have like a lot of different styles, but I, at the same time, whenever I see your work, I'm like, yeah, I know who made that. Some of it, and I know, I know it's probably an insult to like compare, but some of it has a very distinctly like Keith Haring, like uh, presence to it. And then some of it is you just can't compare to anybody, which is probably a good thing. Has I don't know if if people who are listening are going to have a a reference for this, but it has a very zine quality. Mm-hmm. Like in when I, when I was going through high school, um, it was very kind of low key underground, like fanzines, like whatever it is that you wanted to talk about. These like newsletter kinds of things. Oh that I kind of thought were like way more interesting than going to a store and buying a magazine that was like selling stuff, you know? So it had this very renegade underground quality to it. And the fact that you brought that into the current narrative or it's, you haven't brought it, like you've, it's just stayed with you and here we are. Um, so I commend you for that because I think that it makes your, you know, the, the work itself has its own value, but then I think the way that you're creating it and distributing it to its audience also is like, really reflective of who you are as an artist. So uh I also wanted to um go back. We were talking a little bit earlier about when you were creating Superman Well, which is one of the um comics yeah. that you have for sale on your website. And you reflected on how you like intentionally utilized a specific style to like achieve a resonance with mm-hmm, your audience. Yeah. And it kind of did very well in terms of um how it was received by the audience. Can you talk a little bit more about how you developed that? Yeah.
1: Um Again, thank you so much for, you know, your kind words about my work. And, yeah. you know, I, I think that it's, a, you know, an honor to be compared, you know, with, with Keith Herring. And, and you know, I, I feel like my comics are definitely influenced by uh, by Keith Herring. Uh, I love the way that he, you know, uh, used cartoon language in his artwork. Uh, he's always referencing comics in some way um you know it's interesting how like you know you're saying that you know the magazine like the zine was more interesting than like other magazines like commercial magazines but that made just you know that kind of like made me think about how in my own in 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 my own process i'm very influenced by commercial art and i will take some things from commercial art uh, into my work in a kind of way that uh, Keith Herring did. Like I was just saying, he took comic book language and used it in his uh, artwork. Um, I, I also like to reference commercial art in my work, um, not just because, um, like you say, it's like a, uh, a way to also like refer, refer to yourself in an autobiographical way because I come from a commercial art background, but I also enjoy things like uh, like comics from different eras. Um, like Supermanuel, for example, when I did that comic, I was trying to fulfill different agendas at the same time uh, with just one comic. So at the time, I was making the comic for a magazine that's called World War III Illustrated. And the uh, title for that, the theme for that uh, issue was uh, Fight Fascism. This was uh, the 2016 issue, and the editor is uh, Seth Tobacman, and um, it was uh, World War Three Illustrated is as is a, is a political comics magazine uh, that's been going on since the 80s. That was uh, started by Seth Tobacman and Peter Cooper. Peter Cooper is a cartoonist that uh, works in Matt um, Magazine right now, and so um, and they both graduated from uh, SVA just like uh, in the 80s, just like uh, Keith Haring. Wow, I didn't know that. (laughs) And also they've had like artists like David Vonorovich in their comic. And I'm, you know, honored to be a part of this comic, right? And so I'm making my submission, you know, which is like Supermanuel, you know, and I'm, you know, kind of taking this non-serious look, you know, at uh, the enemy, you know, who has been nominated to be the conservative nominee, right? For president. And so there was like this narrative that uh, he was saying, you know, against Mexicans and against immigrants in general, right? And, uh, you know, he wants to put in the Muslim ban, et cetera, right? All of these terrible things about making people wanting to, wanting to make people afraid of immigrants and uh, incite his already xenophobic base, right? And so it reminded me, I guess, of when uh, the US wanted to get, well, When there were there there was propaganda back during World War II, you know that uh, would be uh, that was created to get people to support uh, U.S. involvement in World War II, right? Right. And one of those um, one of the uh, images that I remember from that propaganda from that time of propaganda is a drawing of uh, Captain America, uh, Captain America number one, I think. Is, uh has a cover of Captain America punching Hitler right and so I redrew that composition with my character instead of instead of uh, Captain America it was Supermanuel and instead of Hitler it was the Republican nominee right and so uh, it was kind of like updating the the scenario and also there's like a Nazi agents shooting at Captain America in the original drawing at the same time he's punching Hitler right and so in my comic it was instead of a Nazi it's an ICE agent that's shooting at Superman well right and instead of shield of the American flag he uh, the bullet bounces off of his butt right so it's still making like cheeky joke you know It's still about like his body, you know, it's still like a physical uh, humor kind of joke, but it's also like pointing out, you know, how the ICE agent is an equivalent to the Nazi soldier. And so the uh, reason why I wanted to do that was because I had to, I wanted to connect the situation we're going through now and the kind of character that I was making I wanted to connect that to World War II when we were fighting, literally fighting Nazis, right? Right. Um, And not just to make comic book reference, like a visual reference, but also to connect with the older generations that grew up with Superman and with Captain America as like, you know, heroes, right? And I wanted to kind of connect my character, Supermanuel, that even though you know, there's this anti-immigrant narrative. Here is a character that actually is heroic, and um, is here to save the day, not to fuck it up. You know, and in the uh, in the comic, the, you can see that the style of the comic is from when Superman first came out, like back uh, almost a hundred years ago. Uh, Superman was not so much like a soldier that represented U.S. Uh, nuclear superiority. Yet, uh, when when Superman first came out, his enemy his enemy is poverty, really, because he's like fighting villains like Lex Luthor, who are um, you know like slum lords, right? And so again, there's another connection to the situation that we have going on when you know the Republican nominee is actually a greedy, terrible landlord as well, right? So that's also why I thought that connection with uh, the original Superman worked because, you know, when Superman first came out, he was like literally a social justice warrior who would like fight for the little guy and for like the powerless. And, you know, now he's more like a super soldier, like a nuclear weapon. Uh, But back when he first started out, he was very much about like uh, defending people from bullies, right that's that's what he was really meant to do so yeah so i kind of like that original conception of superman and supermanuel is more like that yeah yeah more like the original uh conception of superman anyway i could go on i could go on forever about it oh yeah and, and one more thing one more thing the uh so it wasn't just to connect with the the older generation it's also i had to make a comic that was also like all ages Because at the time I was teaching a class, like a comic book class to, uh, you know, like uh, teenagers. And so I needed to make a comic for them that was all ages so that they could read it. So that's also why Supermanuel is kind of like a different kind of comic um, because I usually make like adult work. And so this was kind of like, you know, mm, I mean, this was also back, to in 2016, almost 10 years ago. So I have been making all ages work since then. You know, so it's, you know, sometimes required because there's like more censorship depending on the right. events or like the publication that I want to take uh, part of. And so, you know, sometimes I have to be like Mr. Fantastic, you know, from like uh, the uh, Fantastic Four. And I have to bend myself yeah. in many different shapes to fit into, you know, a situation that I want to participate in, right? So I have to be flexible so that I can, like, you know, have something to say, whether it's for an all-ages audience or for an uh, adults-only audience, right?
0: Wow. (laughs) There's a lot to unpack. So first, I would want to say that um, I think, (laughs) I think... I mean, I looked at that, um, that comic, certainly in researching and felt like I get it. Um, but then to hear you explain it, it's, it just blows my mind how layered and complex something that most people would perceive as just, you know, line art scribbled on a piece of paper. Not that I'm saying that about your work, um, but has such commentary. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: No, but I, it does, it does have that. It does have like that. Um, levels, it has like levels of, of like superficiality. Uh, but then like, if you know more about like comics history, like if you know about Jack Kirby drawing that cover, you know, of Captain America, if you already know about it, then you will make that connection. Um, but then if you don't know, uh, it'll still have, uh, like a cool dynamic you know, quality, but uh, yeah, I am trying to, you know, try to, uh, understand, I understand that not everybody will be able to understand every single thing about it, uh, depending on their familiarity with not just comics, but also like political subjects. Cause some people really out there are just clueless. So I have to, you know, I have to (laughs) also work with them, you know, and kind of like, you know, if they
0: don't know anything about the subject, then here is my take on it. You know, right. I feel like you, with that particular project, not to like pick one out or whatever, I just remember when we were talking about it, I was particularly interested. But I feel like what you've hit on here is that you've created a a work that's intended for all ages and specifically built in a reference that's directed at the boomer generation, right? But then also you used exactly the same comic and the same material and the same message to to teach a class to young people. And I feel like, okay, so you have a breadth of, you know, a demographic there that you're reaching with the same all ages uh, content, right? But you're also kind of like putting, I don't want to say that you're like planting seeds, but like you're you're having an interaction and a dialogue with a generation of people who may most likely wouldn't have made all those referential connections, but now like are, are you know, I don't think it's a huge leap in twenty twenty three to make a connection between ICE and um Nazis, but like, you know, this this idea of history repeating itself and the fact that you're working with kids and like I feel like this, you know, just the art element kind of like creates a, a conversation where they're like participating. And a couple of months ago I got to participate on a panel where well one of the other panelists was an educator and had like this really brilliant perspective on the the younger generation that I I mean My work generally isn't for all ages and certainly not for, for younger people. So I don't have a huge interaction with that demographic, but I remember when, um, all the anti-alphabet, um, legislation was in the news and it still is, but, um, we did a podcast on, that was the first podcast actually. And reading accounts of how like school children, like we're talking third grade and fourth grade actually rallied together and organized walkouts. And so the message that this other panelist was giving was that like the young people are motivated and and inspired and absolutely ready to like connect with actualizing progress and change. Um, So that was just really exciting. And I feel like anytime you're gonna be able to take your work that's so intersectional into a younger generation, like that's a win.
1: Yeah, I I feel energized. By working with younger people, and you know, honored to to be mm. trusted, you know, uh, working with younger people, and I feel like they're honest, and they, you know, they want to, they want to, they want to know everything. Yeah. They want to know everything about everything, and so you better be ready <laughs> <laughs> to answer those questions, mm. you know, and also be ready to say, you know, I'll find out for you. Right. Um. You know, I'll um, I'll work on that with you. Um, you know, if if I don't know, really, right? Um, you know, it's yeah, it's it's interesting. You know, being in this also like educator role, it makes me think about all the other educators that I depended on when I was young. You know, and like the the educators that I depend on now, right? For sure. To you know, you know, get more knowledge into this, you know, big mm. head. Right. I, I, I need people who are experts, you know, to be able to help me figure stuff out. Yeah. And also I need, you know, my, my, the influence of my friends and, you know, their political views and their, and their passion, you know, that is also like an influence, you know, like, you know, I've always been fascinated by your work. And how you've been able to, you know, create, you know, your persona and how you are able to perform on stage. I, I really, um, you know, have always been, uh, Seraphim penumbra groupie. So I've always, you know, enjoyed how you, how you, you know, you do your art as well. And, you know, I've always, I've also been like, you know, influenced, influenced by it as well.
0: You know? Thank you. I feel it's, it's an interesting point because I I find that, I don't know if it's at a different phase of my life, but I did forget what it was in reference to, but I was having a moment of realizing, oh, uh, you know what it is, is I'm getting calls uh, and increase for bookings and mostly turning them down because for me, when I'm actively booking shows, it's because I have a show that I'm trying to sell. And I've been, as you know, I've been a student for almost three years now. I'm almost finished. So I just haven't made time to like create any new work, but I have in terms of stage work, but I've I've just noticed that I'm curating more and like the work that I do is way less informed by an interest in entertaining. But not to say that it's a bad thing. I just, it was an interesting observation because there, I remember a time when, when I was in New York, when I was out dressed in heels and of course at six days a week. And now like, I love all that. I love to paint and and do all that. I do just find that I get more gratification out of other kinds of creative outlets. So it's just interesting. Somebody, a lot of people are asking if I'm coming back to the stage and I'm like, I didn't um, quit or retire. I'm just busy (laughs) doing other things. Yeah. Well, you also back in a way
1: when you're doing your monologues, You know, do you feel like that brings you back into people's, you know, radar?
0: To an extent, I think because a lot of the people that have known me for a long time know that I haven't been super active. And uh, so the content that I'm sharing is different experience for them. And I'm also finding just like I'm getting new new people who are interested, who don't have any idea what it is that I do or what I've done. So I find that like the little short videos and things are like just a way of like connecting to an old audience to say that I'm still here and um, and to new audiences, you know, just to have them join the conversation. It's been fun and, it, and it's definitely been a creative outlet. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I think I'm crazy because of adding the amount of stuff that I take on. It sometimes it feels a little bit overwhelming, but I honestly wouldn't have it any other way. I do feel overall just like lucky that most of what I get to focus on is some creative project or endeavor or other. So, yeah, I mean... Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate it. Yeah, it's been it's been an interesting journey. I think at this point, when when we've been around uh, as long as we have, like you start to see things change, and a, a little bit that's kind of leading into my next question. Uh, we talked a little bit about how, as an artist of any kind, trying to carve out a space for yourself involves a very high degree of marketing. Mm. I remember being in art school back in the early '90s, just out of high school and there was no you know the program itself was focused on honing your skill like uh, improving the relationship between your eye and your hand or whatever medium it was that you were working with but there was no mention of marketing or branding like i don't think the word branding like came to public awareness uh, at that point yet but there was no education about like okay once you improve yourself as an artist which is kind of silly because you're always improving yourself as an artist but like just no uh, mention of how to how to make money, right? Like, um, and so the program that I'm in now is kind of the polar opposite of that, where they have a a lot of the focuses on, um, how to, how to get a job and what kinds of Skills you need to collect to go after them, and um, a lot more of it is focused on branding and making sure that you have an internet presence, which is very different. It does seem that some forms of art lend themselves more readily to digital market marketing, but one of the things that distinguishes your work is that it's very organic, it's handmade, and in some cases it has a very almost vintage zine quality to it, like I mentioned before, which I love. Um, I'm wondering how you feel about being an artist and dividing your time between creating and selling? Um, and how do you think social media has impacted this?
1: (laughs) Okay. Hmm. Well, I feel definitely, you know, well, I guess even back when I got out of school in the year 2000, uh, you know, that's when animation, like 3d animation Mm -hmm. was first coming out. And suddenly everything that I had learned for the last four years was just completely irrelevant. And like, it was all about, and I I guess I'm just talking about in general terms, you know, like, I mean, you, it's just like, you know, I was trained, you know, in like studio arts and um, suddenly everything became digital. Right? And so it was right. up to you, you know, to just pick up this new tool, you know? Uh, similar in a way to now what's going on with like AI tools, right? And, um, mm-hmm. you know, they just, you know, had the uh, writer strike because, you know, they wanna make sure that they don't get replaced by AI, right? And so, yeah. you know, they want to make sure that it stays in its place as like a tool and then the person who actually gets paid is the writer, right? Like the creator, right? And so, and, and, and there's, even, there's even more technology to get into because there's like not just 3D uh, imaging, but there's also virtual reality, right? Which is like so much fun. And like my favorite virtual reality game is Pokemon Go. And I play every day. Really? And I will play <laughs> with my digital, you know, virtual reality pet and so you know i'm i'm trying to get into it like in my you know 45 year old brain uh, as much as i can get into it right uh and like thinking of ideas like how could i you know create in this with this new tool right like i also want to learn you know all the new all the new tricks and everything um so, to anyone listening out there, you know who wants to, you know, catch up, you know, do, you know, what Serfim is doing, and go to school, you know, uh, you know, update your education, you know, uh, I I think that, you know, it's it's so cool that you're doing that, uh, and you know, you already have had like your message, you know, you already have your your, you know, your concept, and so. That's what's important, you know, because there's going to be always new technology. there's gonna be always something new to learn, you know, but what I think what's important is that you remember your story and you know what the message of your story is, you know, because there's then there's then you can like liberate it from you know the liberate it from you know it's it's like physical. Reality, right, and take it take it somewhere else, you know. Like for example, when I when I did my Harry Tails mini comic, and then you know it was eventually turned into a, an anim- animated short, uh, thanks to Pablo Oliverio from from Argentina, you know, and that's someone who I met through Mix, right. And so to me, making that cartoon, it meant like I had a chance to honor not just like Aro Blackman and the Ink Tank and my commercial. Uh, animation background, but also now I was also honoring Mix NYC and SKJ and Sarah Shulman and Act Up and all this other stuff where Mix comes from, right? Uh, Which is the only reason how I was able to meet Pablo, right? The director of the cartoon. And so that's what I was able to, I was able to, to kind of bring two worlds that I live in Right, and two parts of my life, I was able to bring together through making that cartoon, right. And it was, you know, the message really was about loving your uh, body hair. (laughs) That's what Harry tells us all about, right? That's what, like, my gay werewolf at the end. You know, he still feels like a monster because he's so hairy, but uh, you know, uh, he at least he found someone who appreciated him for how he really is, right. Yeah, because like um, I had a friend, you know, who was shaving his back hair for his boyfriend, and I was like, well, you know, that's cool that you have the option, right, to shave or not shave. Uh, But but uh, I would prefer it. Like for me personally, like if like you know nobody ever shaved, I I like it natural, and so that's kind of like why I I made hairy tails, right? And so. Yeah, I kind of just wanted to be kind of like celebratory of like body hair. But you know, this is also like pre-bear, like pre I guess like at the same time maybe. But you know, it like the the bear identity became popular eventually and now it's like dominating, right? So I like to feel like I was like in the werewolf, you know, uh, appreciation, you know, group like, you know, before before all that. So yeah, as That's what I think about, like adapting, you know, your work into animation or like to other forms of like, Mm -hmm. you know, entertainment or or art. You know, I guess what I was trying to say it was that like, because you know we were talking about digital technology and like being like an analog like artist, Um, but uh, what I was saying was that like no matter what tool or technology you're using it's really more about the message uh, that you that you are bringing you know it's more about like what the uh, uh what uh, the moral of your story is you know um and and if you have that uh if you have already you know figured that out then you can take it in you know and and you know have like your art in, uh any kind of way out there whether it's digital or physical uh what's important is you know what you're saying with it you know
0: totally agree totally agree so if um is there anything that you're working on now that you're able to share with us any projects coming up uh yes i have uh
1: three projects coming up um that i'm working on at the same time and uh they're all really different from each other too which is what's more fun about it um and so the first one that I'm doing is a comic that is called uh, Carlito in America. And it's like a second part to the comic that I did um, in 2019 called Carlito, which is about like what it was like to live in Spain and to like I- immigrate to uh, New York in the early 90s and um, the comic Calito in America, is gonna be a little different because it's more about what it's like to actually live here uh, what it was like to actually, you know, I guess what I mean by here is what it was like to live in Long Island in the early nineties as a Peruvian kid in a mostly white suburban atmosphere, you know, having to like adapt to the language and also at the same time discovering my sexuality and at the same time being like part of like the way that my parents divorced so yeah so that's one project that's what the carlito comic is about it's kind of like uh coming to a coming of age comic right then i'm doing a comic about the current peruvian crisis that started last november when there was uh, another political another uh presidential coup and the, you know, the president who tried to overthrow the Congress was sent to jail, even though he was doing what he, you know, what he thought people wanted him to do because there's so much corruption going on and, you know, he couldn't get his agenda through because of these obstructionist, you know, uh, Congress people. And so he was going to, you know, have a brand new Congress, but then the Congress was like, no, you're not. And you're going to jail. And so they appointed the uh, the vice president, and then she started killing all the protesters. Like, I mean, well, th- at least uh, one protester per day, as you know, that's like a, what it averages out to. The, like there was when when she when they when the Congress sent the ex president to jail, a lot of Peruvian people who supported him, you know, started protesting, especially people from the uh, regions uh, outside of Lima. And so they were confronted by the military, and a lot of people were shot. You know, people who, you know, had no weapons—kids, right—who uh, were protesting. This, this, the crisis. You know, the situation. And so, yeah, this didn't just happen in a bubble, uh, in, in a void. You know, the last comic that I made for World War Three Illustrated, that was about Peru, had to do with uh, the terrible president that we had in, in the '90s, uh, Fujimori. Who is still in jail, right? And so the comic that uh, I did last ended with Fujimori's daughter wanting to run for president, right? And then also she went to jail because she was um, doing some, you know, criminal stuff with the fundraising for her campaign or something like that. And so, you know, since uh, Fujimori, there have been like a lot of terrible presidents, including one that ended up committing suicide. There were some that like tried to escape the country and had to be brought back, and like others that are still like in jail uh, for corruption. And so I kind of want to do like a rundown of them, and then we're gonna end that comic with the young people who are protesting for like a more of just and fair Peru. And yeah, uh, a lot of those militant protesters are uh, queer people in Peru and they are visibly out and queer in the protest. And so that's like a very interesting development. And um, that's definitely different from before. Yeah. And then the other comic I'm going to do is a continuation of my adventure comic called Toxic City. Which is kind of like a queer adventure, you know, where I have like a team of uh, queer kids surviving the post-apocalypse, and there's like, yeah, there's like different ways, different ways to survive this, like future uh, slash alternate reality, where like you know, there's like the independent survivors that are like in little groups. And then there's also like religious uh, zombie cult. And there's also like paramilitary cannibal (laughs) groups, right? And they like all wanna recruit you and and or eat you, right? And so um, my characters, you know, have to like defend themselves from these groups and survive at the same time. And one of my characters, is psychic or at least thinks that they're psychic. And I kind of want to deal with this like psychic psychic situation because even though in the first part, like he's having these weird visions, I kind of want to make it so that the like environment in the, you know, in my toxic city is actually sentient. And it's communicating with my character. And so, you know, I kind of want to explain, like, where, like, a weird voice is coming from. But, yeah, I kind of want to put, like, psychic ideas of psychic stuff in, like, a fantasy sci-fi situation. Because, yeah, I really think that you'd have to, you know, really question... Uh, someone who thinks that they're like really psychic or something like that. I think that it makes more sense to believe in psychic things in a fantasy sci-fi situation, not in real life, you know? And so, yeah, that's why I'm putting this psychic character in this like fantasy world because at least in my personal opinion, right? This is, I'm not trying to, you know, like you know talk about anyone else uh but myself but like i want to you know make this character psychic in this fantasy world yeah that's why that story kind of exists you know in its own kind of alternate universe you know because i do make comics about like the world we live in but i also like to do stories about alternate realities i guess that's what, what you'd call it now you know a multiverse right yeah so those are the projects i'm juggling right now you know and also there's like the new york queer Zine fair happening at the center uh on on saturday uh october 7th from 11 to 5 and that's gonna be you know the the big event i'm looking forward to at the moment after that we'll probably try to organize more queer comics group readings. I'm thinking about places like Blue Stockings or other, you know, like alternate uh, spaces, you know, for our our events. Yeah. Yeah. I hope that uh, we're able to have it while you're in town or something. And, you know, thank you so much for making this time for us. I really appreciate it. Um, It means a lot to be able to reconnect with you and, uh, you know, keep uh the party going so to speak
0: awesome well thank you very much for that i do appreciate it thank you thank you for asking and thank you so much for you know spending time with me i really appreciate it thanks again we're all looking forward to seeing your work and um, looking forward to speaking with you next time thank you for stopping by cafe penumbra i'm your host seraphim penumbra wishing you a jolly new now Today's show has not been sponsored. As always, let's keep the conversation alive. And remember, it's only a conversation when ideas are exchanged. Please take advantage of our community platform Discord server. And if you're interested in a way to support this show, you can buy me a coffee or get yourself some retail therapy in our shop that is so fabulous it has two Ps. What you have just witnessed was recreated from actual events as they happened live for the very first time. Today's programming has been brought to you in part by the letter 7 and the number blue. Cafe Penumbra is produced by PLC Media Lab.